you can prevent or you can limit the risks of a successful unfair dismissal application by an employee that's been dismissed if you've done the process and the documentation right at the beginning from the start of employment. Welcome to the business behind your business, conversations to help your business grow and thrive. Hi, I'm Paul Sweeney, founder of Predium Solutions, chartered accountants and certified business advisors, hosting the business behind your business. Today on the business behind your business, uh, one of our regulars, Philip Daniel Hedman from Frank Moore and Philip, what are we talking about today? Good morning, Paul. Yes, great to be back. Thank you again for the invitation. Uh, Yeah, today I thought we'll talk a little bit about unfair dismissal. Um, what that is, who can apply for it, how the commission considers uh, cases before it. Um, I think it's very useful for employers and businesses to understand which employees uh, can apply for unfair dismissal and what other type of things the commission considers when they hear these type of applications. Mm. So unfair dismissal is is a big, um, I guess, uh, something that looms over employers or businesses owners when they're thinking about employing people it's one of those uh, i guess roadblocks that prevents them from hiring because they don't understand what their their risks are or what the rules are and how they can make sure that they don't fall foul of these rules yeah i I think that's right but i think that is largely because people do not have the knowledge about how it works and once you understand the way the commission looks at these things and who are entitled to it i think a lot of those fear can be relieved. So if you look at what are the requirements, the, the uh, what's the jurisdictional requirements of the Fair Work Commission to hear these type of applications, clearly not all employees are entitled to an unfair dismissal remedy, as we call it. Um, so there's obviously a minimum time period of continuous employment for, uh, for uh, small businesses. An employee must have been employed for a continuous period of 12 months, whereas for Bigger businesses, it is uh, after six months, they are only entitled to to apply for unfair dismissal if the employment was terminated at the initiative of the employer. In other words, they can't do it when they resign unless the resignation is, is, uh, was prompted by something the employer did. We call that constructive dismissal. Um, but generally speaking, it is when it's at the initiative of the empl- uh, employer, the employment is terminated. Uh, the employee must make the application within 21 days mm-hmm. of the termination becoming effective. Um, this is an important limitation, and the commission is quite strict on, on that time limit. Uh, any applications outside 21 days requires an application from um, from the employee to for the commission to make the application for unfair dismissal, and they don't take that very lightly if there was any delay. Mm. There's also a high income threshold, so it's only employees that uh, uh, whose annual salary is less than 100. It's about 151,000 from memory. Let's call it 150,000 dollars. That's including super and so forth. Um, can apply for unfair dismissal. People that earn more than that are not subject to jurisdiction of the um, unfair dismissal jurisdiction of the Fair Commission or somebody that's employed under enterprise agreement or collective agreement. No matter what the income is, they are also entitled to unfair dismissal. So there's some guidelines around who can, who can't. Mm-hmm. But I guess one of the, 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 I guess the confusing things is what actually is an unfair dismissal? An unfair dismissal is a dismissal which was, as I said, at the initiative 
of the employer, uh, where the employer either didn't have a valid reason, or even where it did have a valid reason, um, the dismissal was harsh, unjust, or unfair. And I can quickly look at those two things, what the court has determined that to be. A valid reason deals with, is the reason for the termination defensible and justifiable objectively? It's important to understand that the commission is not putting themselves in the shoes of the employer, but rather objectively, does is there a valid reason for the termination? When it comes to whether something is unjust, unreasonable or harsh, um, unjust relates to whether the truth of the reason for the termination or if there's an uneven application. In other words, if something similar happened before and the employer over didn't do anything about it and all of a sudden the next employee does it, it might be that it's unjust in the circumstances. Reasonable Reasonable is usually about the process. Was the process that was implemented a reasonable process? Um, to that end, the court also consider whether uh, the person was given a warning. For example, in the case of terminating somebody's employment on performance, there must be a warning uh, to the employee before termination to improve performance before they can terminate the employment. That goes to reasonableness. And the second one, and the last one I mean, is harshness. Was the dismissal harsh? Um, here they look at various um, situations and the surrounding circumstances. Was it harsh in the circumstances? I think a great example, if I can just refer to example, and I think which one which clearly explains um, how the commission considers these type of matters, going through was there a valid reason, did they follow a fair process, or was it harsh, unjust, and unreasonable? It's the case of Mr. Whitwood Brown versus Qantas. Mr. Whitwood Brown was uh, a Qantas flight attendant. Uh, he flew from, I think it was Melbourne to Tokyo. When he arrived in Tokyo, got to his hotel, and Qantas security pitched up at his hotel and searched him. And they found 11 chocolates in his bag, five in his pockets of his jacket, and he was also carrying two individually wrapped biscuits. So he was 57 years old. Uh, he was stood down for three months while they investigated this theft. Uh, and he was then terminated for Qantas had a zero tolerance policy to theft, which is kind of understandable. So the decision was, as the commission considered this, was there a valid reason? The commission said, yes, there was a valid reason, the breach of company policy regarding theft. The commission found that the zero tolerance to theft was an appropriate policy to have. Secondly, they looked at the process. Was it a fair process? They decided, yes, Qantas did follow a fair process. There was a thorough investigation process. He was given an opportunity to respond. Allegations was put to him. They considered that for three months. So the court found that it was a fair process. Finally, the court considered, was it harsh, unjust, or unreasonable? Um, and it's here where the commission said, you know what, this was harsh, unjust, or unreasonable. Because faith requires an intentional conduct. And evidence supported the fact that Mr. Woodward Brown would, before his, the flight started, he would take a handful of these chocolates or cookies or whatever, put it in his pockets. And for the rest of the flight, he would hand them out during the night or whatever the case might be to 
people that might want something. And he obviously forgot them in his pockets when he left the aircraft. Evidence also supported the fact that the chocolates and biscuits were actually leftovers and usually discarded by Qantas after the flight. So they were, in effect, unwanted goods. Now, that doesn't mean theft doesn't occur, but it goes to harshness, whether it's harsh in those circumstances, to punish somebody by terminating the employment because they've taken something that was in any way unwanted goods. Um, and then finally, the court considered, well, he has an unblemished employment record of uh, employment history of 20 years where he had good character, loyalty to Qantas, no issues whatsoever. His age was also was 57 years old, so that also played uh, into the Commission's mind considering whether it was a harsh decision. And ultimately, they decided that it was harsh in the circumstances, and he was reinstated. I think the other thing that people must understand about the unfair dismissal jurisdiction, that there's basically two remedies that's available. Uh, the Commission can either reinstate the employee, in other words, you go back to work, which I must say is fairly rare, um, because by that time, by the time you go to the Commission, it's the animosity is probably the employee probably doesn't want to go back and all those kind of things. Mr. Woodward Brown obviously wanted to go back and they reinstated him. The second option remedy is what we call compensation, um, which is money in sense of, but the, but it's limited to six months pay. So the maximum amount that uh, can be awarded by the commission is six months pay um, for, for a person that's been un, unfairly dismissed. Mm. So there's a couple of things that come through and, yes. and, and talking, just looking at it. So Qantas had policies and procedures that supported their, their case. Yes. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of the business owners we, we meet, and in most cases, the policies and procedures are not in place. So um, that would be the first yeah. uh, strike against them. Absolutely. Because it comes to um, usually policies and procedures other than, other than obviously stating the obvious, you know, that we have a zero policy to theft and to this and to that, bullying and harassment and all those other policies, that usually also sets out processes of dealing with disciplinary matters. Mm. And it's important that those processes are thought of beforehand. What is reasonable circumstances? Um, what is reasonable to have a, a, when you accuse somebody or make allegations against somebody for a breach of a policy of an employment agreement and what their rights are. Uh, if you have those policies in place and you don't follow them, the commission can also say, wait a minute, it's not reasonable. You don't even follow your own policy. Um, but we, I just find that if you don't have any policy and you make up a process on the run, it's just more harder in the circumstances to do the right thing. Whereas if you've beforehand thought about it, how am I going to do it? This is how I'm going to do it. Uh, it's much easier to then come up with a process and, and just follow those steps through to protect your business. So we, so we not only need to have the process, we need to have uh, be able to demonstrate that those processes and policies are actually adhered to by not just the employee, but Correct. the employer. That, that's exactly right. And I also think that, you know, it is, uh, it ties in, it's one thing to have a policy and procedures, but you also, that needs to be tied to the employment agreement. That's why written employment agreement is just so important because you need to include in your employment agreement that, that the employee is required to follow the policy and that failure to follow the policy may lead to disciplinary action. That needs to be in your employment agreement as well. Um, so that there's a contractual link between 
the person's employment contract and the policies and procedures. Mm. So uh, I think we've had this conversation before about whether the policies and procedures are actually included in the in the employment contract. And, and I think what I'm hearing is that the employment contract should refer to the policies and procedures. Yes. Do they need to say which version or date? No. The, the, the advantage of, of making sure, your, actually your agreement will say that the policy and procedures do not form part of your employment agreement. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't, you're not required to follow them. Mm-hmm. And the reason you say that is, is because the, the policies and procedures can be amended and varied by the employer from time to time. Just to, but then you just have to make, make sure that you inform your employees if there are any changes to the, the policies and that it's readily available to them to access them because there's no use in having policies but nobody knows what they are. It will also be unfair if you accuse an employee of breaching a policy but you never inform them that's actually the policy, yeah. um, whatever that might be. So all those type of considerations will be considered by the courts or the Federal Commission when they, when they decide whether or not you, know, uh, you have applied your policies fairly in the process of, of disciplining an employee. Hmm. So, so we've got a couple of documents that we need to have in place. And, and our, so we've got our policies and procedures. So we'd have more than one different policy in there, I'm guessing, because often yeah. a, uh, a company might have motor vehicles. Under, well, we pretty much all have right. IT and uh, internet usage. Uh, social, social media. Yeah. yeah, yeah. there's social media, there's motor vehicles, there's a lot of employers give devices like laptops and mobile phones. And what happens when the person resigns? What does the policy say about returning those policies, uh, those products or those items, uh, also when they get damaged, who pays for it, mm. when it gets damaged, uh, when it gets stolen, whatever the case might be. And then there's also the other type of policies that you need to to include, which deals with um, with conduct, which is bullying, harassment, sexual harassment, discrimination in the workplace, those type of policies, the expected behaviour, code of conduct is a, is, a, is a general term that's used for all those type of uh, policies. And then finally, if you want to have a bonus system or an employee uh, incentive system, uh, that should also be part of your policies and procedures uh, and not part of your employment contract, but rather a, a policy and procedure that dictates this is a way that we incentivize employees. Mm-hmm. So there's various things that you can put in your policies um, to help you manage and, and regulate employee arrangements without it being a contractual right. But it's important, as we've mentioned before, that the employment agreement and these policies are drafted the right way to ensure that you do not create contractual rights through your policies. Mm, okay. And uh, are there any other documents that you need to provide when you're in, uh, to your new employee when you're hiring yeah. them? Yeah, one of, the, one of the major documents is obviously the Fair Work Information Statement, which needs to be provided to new employees. Um, and also, if you haven't done it to all the employees, you need to provide it to them as well, uh, to, which is a document, it's available on the Fair Work Ombudsman and I think also on the Fair Work Commission website, uh, which, which you're required to give to your employees. Um, but, you know, there's also other documents that's required to be in writing. We talked about the employment agreement. We talked about the policies and procedures. We talked about the Fair Work Information Statement. Another thing that is so important to um, to remember to put in writing is any warnings that you might give an employee, especially when it comes to performance. 
And the reason for that is, is that the unfair dismissal provisions also provides that where you want to, deter, to terminate an employee's employment, on the grounds of performance, you must have warned the employee before. Now, the Act doesn't say that warning must be in writing. However, my advice to all employers is to make sure that where there is a performance issue, that it is put in writing, um, do not just have one-on-one -on -one discussion, say, mate, you need to improve on X, Y, Z, and there's no follow-up in writing about what those requirements are because the owners will be on the employer at the end of the day that a warning was given um, and that the person didn't perform uh, accordingly and that's why the, the employment was terminated. Um, the onus is on the employer to show that the warning was given. So always put those type of things in writing. In writing. And, and look, you, you mentioned there that performance needs to improve. Do we need to have a way of measuring? Yeah. Well, I think um, when you do give that warning, um, the first warning, one has to say, look, this will be reviewed in X amount of time. It needs to be reasonable. You can't say tomorrow I'm reviewing your performance again. That's not reasonable. Um, but there needs to be, look, in a month's time or whatever the case might be, uh, your performance needs to improve in these areas. You need to do X, Y, Z, whatever those performance measures are. Um, and, and it needs to be clearly stating that if you fail to meet those performance measurements at that time, uh, that, that may result in your employment being terminated on grounds of performance. Um, that way the employee is fully aware of, of what's, been, what's, been, what, what's been expected of him to, or her to avoid being terminated. Mm. So there's still a few, um, I guess, uh, well, there's a process which needs to be followed, and if you don't follow the process, that's where things can come unstuck. So uh, as an employer, if you do encounter this situation, I, I'm thinking that the, the first thing you should do is, is contact your, your lawyer that's got HR experience and actually get advice on what you're proposing to do is the correct thing. Yeah, I think, I think that, is, that is absolutely right. I think um, whether it's your lawyer or your HR advisor or someone, someone that can advise you on the process, whether that is for uh, performance or even when that's for misconduct, because when you may want to terminate an employee's employment based on misconduct. It's also important that you get uh, do the correct investigations, uh, get evidence from third parties that 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 have witnessed it or seen it or, or could testify to whatever happened in that situation in the misconduct. Um, that those allegations are clearly put to the employee, um, the allegations, and also a reference to. And I sometimes see employees don't do this, but what policies did? I led to have been breached. It's one yep. thing to say you did X, Y, Z, but it doesn't say, okay, what policy did that breach? What did I do wrong? Mm. How is that conduct which you alleged I've done in breach of my either my employment terms or my policy or the, any of the policies and procedures? Um, that needs to be clearly set, uh, set, set out, and and the person must have the opportunity to, um, you know, to, to respond to that. Now they can either respond, we would recommend in in person. Um, and when you do have that meeting, always important to, to allow a person to have a support person. A failure to allow a person to have a support person might be deemed unreasonable circumstances and the Commission might say on that basis alone that it was a harsh or unjust or unreasonable termination mm -hmm. um, or dismissal. So, um, yes, the Act doesn't say you must offer a support person, but I always say best practice, 
informed person, there's been allegations against you, and you're required to meet on this and this date with sufficient notice and remind the person that is entitled to a support person should you wish. That's the best practice. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think um, a lot of the issues that come up with the hiring process and this unfair dismissal issue is because people haven't taken the time during the hiring process to get the processes in place, the documentation in place, and, and even be clear to the prospective employee, this is what we expect. And particularly if there's something different in, in your business that you expect, um, you need to have that communication up front. Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly right. I mean, you can, you can prevent or you can limit the risks of a successful unfair dismissal application by an employee that's been dismissed if you've done the process and the documentation right at the beginning from the start of employment. Mm. Um, I think that is so critical. You just de-risk your business all along. Mm. Oh, that's, that's great to know. So just one final question, Phil. Um, uh, unfair dismissal during a probation period, is it still possible? It is possible, but it's 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 harder for an employee. Um, I think you remember I said at the beginning, unfair dismissal, that you need to be employed by for six months mm -hmm. and for small businesses, it's 12 months. So that is a type of a legislative probation period, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, now, that doesn't mean um, uh, there's, other, there's other causes of action an employee might have for dismissal with, uh, during those periods. For example, if you were dismissed on a discriminatory ground, because yep. of religion, you know, those unlawful discrimination sections, religion, sex, marital status, you know, those 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 uh, discrimination mm. uh, topics, uh, or if there's adverse action. In other words, if, if, if the dismissal is as a result of the person proposing or actually exercising a workplace right, and that is probably a whole post podcast on its own, yeah. but there are some remedies available for a person that is to uh, terminated uh, during probation um, or during those six months and 12 months. Uh, in terms of contractual probation period, um, it is much easier to terminate somebody's employment during those time, but you still need to have a valid reason for, for mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. It just needs to be clearly articulated and explained to the employee the reasons for dismissal needs to be given appropriate notice period and all those type of things. And you should be fine. Mm. So I think what we're hearing is uh, that um, unfair dismissal, the, the, the courts will t look more from the employee side than the employer side. But the, if you followed your process uh, and, you, and you've, you've documented the steps, then you shouldn't have... Anything. I think the critical part is, is that the onus is on the employer to show that you followed your process, you followed, you had a valid reason, you follow the process, it's not harsh and unjust in circumstances. And to do that, you need to have the documents and processes. Mm. Yeah. So I think if you do that, um, then really that fear that's preventing you from employing people, um, you can overcome that fear by having good document documentation, good policies, good processes, yep. and getting advice if you're not sure. Absolutely. That that is that's the aim. As I said, de-risking your business, um, having that knowledge, having that processes definitely takes away a lot of the fear that may exist around this area. Right. Well, I think that's, that's been really helpful, Phil, to clear up some of that uncertainty um, because, that you know, employing people is one of the three big issues that I hear from business owners all the time. Uh, it always seems to come up. 
and um, it's good to demystify that idea around what is an unfair dismissal. Uh, and then you mentioned some resources on the Fair Work um, Commissioner and Ombudsman site, so we're going to put some links to those in the notes. Um, so, uh, yeah, have a look at the show notes and follow the links. And uh, to make sure that you don't miss out on, on more conversations like this, make sure that you do follow us in your favourite podcast player and, uh, and and look out for communications from us in our social media and emails. So thank you again, Philip, for uh, sharing with us today. It's been fantastic again. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for listening. Do you have a question you'd like our team of experts to answer? If you do, send your question to podcast at thebusinessbehindyourbusiness.com. To hear more from The Business Behind Your Business, don't forget to subscribe using your favourite podcast player. Or you can visit thebusinessbehindyourbusiness.com website.